from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like who I could. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing of the 5-0. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, June 26th. Made it to Friday, folks. Ahead in this hour, we'll hear the latest on the NFL plans for their return for training camp, for preseason, and for the season. Um, Roger Goodell speaking yesterday on a conference call about the ongoing prep for the 2020 season. So we'll hear from him as well as others around the league, including Malcolm Jenkins, Saint Safety. And he made it clear on Golik and Wingo uh, the other day that football is a non-essential business. And he, as a player, would feel not good or not safe about playing right now. How would other players feel as well? And being on sort of an honor system, when it comes to health and safety protocols. It's all ahead in the Sour Plus. Uh, finally, an NHL name. It's not for the team. It's not for the mascot, but it is for the arena. We'll talk about that yesterday, the news about Oakview Group, NHL Seattle, and Amazon announcing their partnership and the initiative behind it. It's pretty cool. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to the Blitz. Let's get to your headlines. This is the Blitz. Roger Goodell speaking about the ongoing prep for the 2020 NFL season yesterday. Here was the commission. We also had a very lengthy discussion on our preparation for the 2020 season and our ongoing work as we prepare to open training camps on time to get ready for games at our stadiums and then to engage our fans both in stadiums as well as through our media partners. We've discussed all these topics with the Players Association on numerous occasions as recently as just the last couple of days. We're both focused on ensuring the players as well as coaches and other essentials of the game will have the safest possible environment this season. Obviously, that includes our fans also. Those conversations have been very productive, and obviously there's a lot more for us to do. Jeff Pash, who is the NFL Executive Vice President and General Counsel, also talked about guidance that teams are being given pertaining to preseason and training camp. Here was Jeff. The clubs have been advised that training camps are expected to open on the normal schedule the, uh, set forth in the collective bargaining agreement. So for most clubs, that would be July 28th. And then obviously you can bring your rookies and certain other players in a little bit before that. But that's the date that clubs are expected to open training camp. And then as far as other things in respect to the preseason, like the number of preseason games, we're in you know active discussion with the uh, Players Association on those issues and you know we'll continue at that and expect to have some resolutions relatively soon that will advise the clubs at that time. But as of now, seems like the NFL is planning on moving ahead with its season despite an uptick in COVID cases in several states uh, this past week. Dan Graziano saying uh, yesterday that uh, the NFL expects no delays in the start of the regular season. In terms of starting the regular season on time, the league is still optimistic that they'll be able to do that. And they're trying to confront the problem that's directly in front of them right now while also planning for uh, that big issue down the road of how we get a season off the ground. But as 
as of today, and you know, talking to league officials on a conference call after the owners finished their call today, everyone still seems optimistic that they will be able to start the season on time in their regular stadiums. Obviously, they have to plan for contingencies. Obviously, even if they do start on time in the regular stadium, things will be weird, and they're working through all of that. But right now, I don't get the sense that the cancellation of the Hall of Fame game is an alarm bell in terms of the potential for starting the regular season. Still a lot of concerns over the health and safety protocol. There was a report earlier this week that uh, the stadium attendants, they were going to let individual city and local governments decide on what potential uh, stadium uh, capacities were going to be. And would that give certain teams a competitive advantage over others because they could have fans in the stands or more fans in the stands? Also this week, how do the players feel? Malcolm Jenkins, who uh, is a leader in this league, who has spoken out on several different topics, including racial injustice and uh, the ongoing fight for that right now, but also talking about how football right now is, in his mind, a non-essential business. The NBA is a lot different than than the NFL because they can actually quarantine all of their players um, or whoever is going to participate, where we have over 2,000 players, even more coaches and staff. We can't do that. And so we'll end up being kind of on this uh, trust system where uh, the honor system where we just have to hope that guys are social distancing and things like that. And that puts all of us at risk, not only, you know, us as players and who's in the building, but when you go home to your families, uh, you know, I have parents that I don't want to get sick. And I think until we get to the point where we have protocols in place and until we get to the place as a country where we feel safe doing it, we have to understand that football is a non-essential business. Uh, and so we don't need to do it. And so the risk, uh, you know, has to uh, be be really eliminated before we before I would feel comfortable with going back. Andrew Brandt, who writes for the Monday Morning Quarterback, joined 710 ESPN yesterday and on Malcolm Jenkins saying he wouldn't feel comfortable playing today. Brandt gets it. Yeah, I mean, I've had players reach out to me about that question of opting out. Obviously, players can opt out. The real question everyone has is, can they get paid to opt out? And I think that's going to be touchy. I, I bring up the idea of a TUE, which is a therapeutic use exemption. You sort of have to have a doctor's note that you've got one of these comorbidities, that you've got a, a sick relative at home, that you've got an elderly relative at home. And maybe you can get paid. But again, certainly players are going to want to opt out. Whether they get paid or not is a deeper question because if there's some blanket statement, yeah, you get paid, then everyone's going to opt out. Yeah, why not sit at home and get paid? Andrew Brandt also on him listening in on the call with the NFLPA doctor and said that he still has a lot of questions when it comes to the protocols. I listened into a conference call with Tom Mayer, who's the NFLPA doc, and he's worried. Now, he's on the player side, and he's like, we got three categories here that haven't done well with the virus. African-American, high BMIs, and sleep apnea. And those are part of our population. I don't know how much of our population, but a good part. That's a problem. Andrew Brandt also talking about Von Miller. He is still having shortness of breath or still had shortness of breath three to four weeks after uh, contracting COVID-19. So said that we can't assume that anyone who tests positive will just be two weeks and and ready to go back playing in their sport. Von Miller story. You know, I read a lot of, you do, we all do read a lot of NFL stories, media. That's one that just stopped me in my tracks. Von Miller, you know, a 
a super specimen is saying that three, four weeks after recovering from the virus, he's having some issues working out. He's having some windedness, some lung capacity. I'm like, oh my God, now that's Von Miller. So just think about, we can't really say that, okay, you know, Zeke Elliott, if he gets, he, he got the virus, but if he got it in October, he'd be fine in November. We just don't know that right now. Von Miller's also said that he has asthma. So that uh, could be part of the issue and why it is still continuing. But the underlying thing there is we still don't know a lot about COVID-19 and the recovery process. Andrew Brandt saying uh, he would imagine the league would want players to sign COVID-19 waivers to avoid potential lawsuits. Yeah. The other thing is waivers. You know, I'm a lawyer and I, you know, was at the Packers 10 years. And if I was in that job, I'd be thinking about waivers. Exactly yeah. what I just talked about. You know, what if Von Miller, uh, someone like him, never recovers? Um, What if a player goes home and, you know, they're not going to be in the bubble like the NFL. So a player goes home, infects an older relative, something, God forbid, drastic happens. Liability. Now, the union's going to get involved and buck up against any waivers, but these things that, you know... When I was managing an NFL team, I worried about hips and shoulders and knees, not this. Andrew Brandt also speaking to the financial implications for football moving ahead, saying that football is going to be in a similar position as the MLB next year when the salary cap drops. I mean, if you're really concerned about the health and safety of the, of the people, then it, the best thing is just don't play this year. But of course, it's all about the business. I think we're adult enough to understand that. So this is about business of sports. And baseball owners, we're going to have the players share their pain. They're doing half. They're doing less than half a season. They're doing no fans. It's going to be a massive income drop for them. And they're going to have players share their pain. And ultimately, the players really couldn't agree what to share. So it was imposed upon them. Football is going to have this. Now, not to the extent because we won't have 60 games versus 160 and we won't have no fans whatsoever, I don't think. But football is going to have to go to the union and do this as well. As you mentioned, no union wants to go into the subsequent year with a lower cap than the previous year. So I think both sides want to get ahead of that. Brant noting that football is in a better situation than Major League Baseball because they just signed a new CBA, but they'll still have to deal with the drop in revenue this year. Coming up on the Blitz, it was a big announcement yesterday. Oakview Group, NHL, Seattle, and Amazon announcing an unprecedented partnership, and it's for a pretty cool cause here in Seattle, and it surrounds the new stadium arena name. So it's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Letty Cruz alongside with you Friday, June 26th. Thanks for hanging out with me this morning. Big news yesterday. No, it's not the NHL team name, which should be coming soon on the horizon. And while that future NHL team remains clouded in mystery in terms of names, we at least know the name of their future home, Climate Pledge Arena. 
Now, Oakview Group, NHL Seattle, and Amazon announced their partnership yesterday in this venture to create a zero-carbon climate pledge arena and commit to carbon-neutral operations and events. The goal is to make CPA... I'm shortening it just now. CPA, the first zero carbon arena in the world, powered exclusively by renewable energy, including both on-site and off-site solar power, as opposed to the standard use of natural gas. It will also run solely on electric for daily operations, eliminating all fossil fuels from the building and installing the first all-electric dehumidification systems in the National Hockey League. Here was a video that they put out yesterday Um including uh, some of their big-name staff talking about the meaning behind the Climate Pledge Arena. Things like this, we're dependent upon gas, natural gas. Well, we're not going to have gas in this building. We're going to be capturing rainwater from our roofs and using it to make the ice. How can you not have a building that's committed to the Climate Pledge? How can our players not be skating on anything other than rainwater? got rid of all fossil fuel use. We've fully decarbonized. We've gotten rid of natural gas for everything in the arena. The electricity to make the ice is renewable. All the electricity is also being generated by off-site solar farms. So completely powered by renewable energy. Even the Zamboni's electric. <laughs> we need to be not only zero energy, but we need to be zero waste. We believe by 2024, we'll be a no plastics building. So we're not just going on the journey. Our fans are going to go with us. Our corporate partners are going to go with us. The goal is to earn a zero carbon certification from the International Living Future Institute, the world's preeminent nonprofit organization, uh, leading ecological green building practices and then creating a third party certified standard for clean energy. The arena, if successful, if and when successful, would be the first live entertainment venue in the world to achieve that milestone. So some things you can expect, you heard a couple of them in the video right there. Uh, the first arena to ban single-use plastics and commit to, to functional zero waste. It means only compost and recycling bins, no trash cans. Uh, it will also extend their green practices to the ice, as mentioned, using rainwater, refrigerants with zero greenhouse gas emissions, and electric Zambonis making Zambonis even more fun. Why not? But uh, with the support from Amazon to secure additional renewable energy, the arena will be 100% powered by on-site solar panels and off-site solar farms. Uh, The Climate Pledge commitment will extend to all parts of the new arena's offerings, including locally sourced food, beer and wine, and zero waste for all events. It will become the first arena in Seattle and the first team in the NHL to eliminate single-use plastics as well. They'll be phased out completely by 2020. Four. So pretty cool news yesterday. A very Seattle thing, I think, appropriate here uh, for them to do as uh, they move forward, trying uh, trying to commit to zero waste and zero carbon emissions here. Yesterday, we got to hear from Mariners GM Jerry Depoto on with Danny and Gallant for the Jerry Depoto show and talking about finally after months of not being able to talk about it, the return of baseball with a definite date on the schedule, July 1st for the training camp 2.0 uh, report date, and then with a possible opening day of July 23rd or 24th. Jerry DePoto on what they they uh, the 26-man roster might look like, but it's changed over the past couple of months. We had a very good idea of what our 26-man roster was going to look like uh, when we entered spring, and you know, most of that was only confirmed. Some of it was was changed, you know. Players do change your mind or, or step up and, and take control of situations, and, and a few guys did that, which was very exciting. 
you know, we're going into this spring training 2.0, which will start in the middle of next week. And unfortunately, a lot of the foundation or the base that we built up in our first spring training is mostly lost. Yeah, starting over with spring training 2.0, Jerry DePoto pointing out that that will be a challenge. You do, to a certain extent, have to start from the beginning. But we're going to do this a little differently than we've we've ever really done spring training before because we'll be working in smaller groups. It will be in Seattle and solely at T-Mobile Park. And we are going to, we're going to move cautiously and, and make sure that as we go through this three week spring training, that once we get to the regular season, our first and, and truly our only thought through this is our players development and their continued health and well-being. And, and we're going to, we're going to focus on those things. And that could be anything from the obvious, which is their physical health or, you know, with the pitchers, their arm health, keeping the, the soft tissue issues with uh with our position players there's there's a lot to manage and it's going to put a lot of stress on our staff and and our training team jerry depoto also on some of those prospects that were maybe going to be part of september call-ups no september call-ups this year although you can have a taxi squad in addition to the 40-man roster so 20 players in addition to that depoto on having to pump the brakes on some guys they thought they'd bring up in late 2020 that's strange you know it's there are a handful of players who we did have a, a general timeline or an expectation that they would have experienced a, a half a season or two thirds of a minor league season and then progress to the big leagues and, and get their feet wet toward the tail end of, of 2020. And, and we do have to pump the brakes on that and see where they are in their development. Coming up on the Blitz, uh, a Seattle legend who has narrated and been the voice of so many great moments when it comes to the Seahawks. That would be Steve Rabel. Well, he is retiring from Cairo 7 this week after 30-plus years in the business, but him reflecting on some of his favorite moments next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Alongside with you, big day for a local legend, Steve Rabel, who has lit up our lives with so many incredible calls. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But up first, there's been some rumors surrounding Jamal Adams uh, coming, potentially wanting out of New York. And one of the ne- names on his potential trade list would be the Seattle Seahawks. Rich Simony of ESPN joining John Clayton, the professor, yesterday to chat about Jamal Adams. One of the big stories in the National Football League that doesn't go away, it's uh, Jamal Adams asking for a trade from the New York Jets. And, of course, he's named eight teams. Doesn't look like there's much chance of a trade happening. But let's get into that story and more on Schooled with the Professor with Rich Simony of ESPN.com, who covers the Jets. And so, uh, you know, 
How would you evaluate uh, the position Jamal's taken? I can understand that uh, he's upset that they haven't made a move toward him, but the timing isn't right in the sense that uh, nobody knows what the cap's going to be next year because don't know if people are going to be in the stands or not. Yeah, first of all, John, I, I would say that I, I'm not surprised uh, that Jamal has taken this stance. You could just see this storm clouds forming a few months ago. Actually, as far back as October at the trading deadline, when the, when there was some uh, bad blood, when the Jets uh, engaged in some trade talks with the Cowboys, with you know over Jamal, and Jamal didn't take it well. So you could just see this forming on the horizon, and it really. Maybe it came on quicker than I thought. You know, usually the teams do a dance a little bit, and then maybe at the end of the preseason, when it gets down to the regular season, the player asks for a trade. Uh, but in this case, it happened so fast. You know, in, in mid-June, the player asks for a trade. And you're right. You know, I don't think they're going to trade him. At least not. that's not their plan right now. Uh, from everybody I talk to, the Jets have no intention of trading him. Of course, things could change, you know, a month or two from now. But I think that's their plan right now is to ride it out and see where this goes. Yeah. Now, uh, the one issue that he has, which he might have a little bit of an advantage on compared to the other draft choices in 2017, those that are on their rookie contracts, is that uh, first, you if you hold out into training camp, uh, you lose a year toward free agency. But one thing, I guess it's you know, it not helps him, but of course is on his side is that they have the fifth year option next year, which means that, uh, you know, he can get into free agency in 2022, but what good does that do him? Uh, cause again, it's like, a, we're like, for example, Dalvin cook, uh, if he holds out, he's a restricted free agent next year. And in the case of, uh, Jamal, he's out there being a fifth year option guy. Yeah, I don't think that'll affect Jamal as much that the, the losing the accrued season because I don't think he's ever going to get the free agency, you know, because he'll get a new deal. If it's not this year from the Jets, it'll be someone else either this year or next year. Um, so I, I don't think that is going to be a major deterrent for him. You know, the other part of that deterrent is 40000 a day in fines which the team, uh, you know, has, in, in his case, the team has the option of waiving it at the end if he signs a new deal. But, you know, there's a chance that they don't waive it. And, you know, that's a lot of fines. You know, that's more than a million and a half dollars for a full training camp if you sit out. So, you know, that would be a pretty big deterrent, I would think. So it's fascinating to see how this will play out. I don't think he'll show up for training camp. Uh, I mean, he's already made it clear he doesn't want to be on the team so why would he show up for training camps? I, I do not expect him to be in camp on time. Yeah, go over uh, where this relationship started to go. You mentioned the trade deadline in October. There seemed to be trade talk with the Dallas Cowboys, and it makes you kind of wonder, you know, what's going through the mind of the Jets' front office and coaching staff when here's one of your best players, if not the best player on your team, and you're willing to trade him? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Joe Douglas is a new general manager. You know, I, I like Joe's potential in the position. I think he's, you know, got a good plan. But he may have made a mistake or two along the way. Uh, I think last October at the trading deadline, you know, I think he told Jamal, don't worry, we're not going to trade you. And the next thing you know, he's talking to the Cowboys. And that really upset Jamal, which he blasted uh, Douglas on Twitter. And, you know, I think Joe Douglas is, philosophy which he holds for every player is that if someone calls he's always going to listen and he was 
I think he was doing a little more than listening with the Cowboys last year. I think he was engaging in some some talks, some back and forth proposals and counter proposals. So I think he probably learned a lesson there that he just needs to be a little more, uh, just have be a better communicator with the player. And the same thing holds for this offseason. I mean, Joe has said publicly on a number of occasions how much he wants to keep Jamal around and he loves Jamal and he wants to make him a jet for life. So when you say stuff like that publicly, it certainly leads the player to believe that the team is very motivated to extend his contract. When, in fact, the Jets, I believe, do not want to extend his contract this year. I think they'd rather kick the can down the road to next year. And so I think maybe they you know, sent some mixed signals, and, and I think maybe Joe needs to do a better job of communicating that to Jamal. Speaking of those having his back, though, Greg Williams, New York Jets defensive coordinator, speaking yesterday in a conference talking about Adams uh, and coaching him. He has to handle his contract. He'll do all that kind of stuff. He'll do those things. But, you know, we always have to have the next man up philosophy, and we've been able to do that. We'll have to address those things later on, but I'm hoping everything goes well. I love coaching him, and uh, I got his back. Mention also that he has the potential to be one of the greats, so uh, probably sticking in New York for the foreseeable future, uh, but still an interesting, intriguing possibility for Seattle. Legendary Seattle broadcaster Steve Rabel will anchor his last Cairo 7 newscast today. Uh, that means a storied 38-year run with Cairo TV for Rabes uh, is coming to a close, but still the voice of the Seahawks giving us some of our more memorable calls, uh, including, you know, several involving the Beast. Turning hand to Lynch. He stutter steps, breaks through the line, makes a man miss, cuts back outside right 30, 35, 40, down the far sidelines, pushes a defender, keeps fighting. He's still moving. He's going to go down to the 20. 20 to 15, they're chasing him 10. He dives in. Are you kidding me? What Touchdown, a run. Oh Seahawks. Holy catfish. <laughs> 79 yards, and that made Beastquake look like a walk in the park. Marshawn Lynch, sick, a bad back, says, get out of my way. Holy smoke. Since the early 90s, been one of the most recognized and beloved news anchors in the Pacific Northwest. I've most recently been co-anchoring weeknights for Cairo. And I believe today the Great Wheel down on the waterfront is going to light up blue in honor of Blue Friday for Rabes. But yesterday, joining Tom, Jake, and Stacy to talk about not only uh, his time with uh, Cairo, but also some of his work in the community and favorite moments. While we have you talking about your retirement and kind of looking back at this important chunk of your career what's your Mm -hmm. favorite non-seahawks moment was there an interview was there just a day you had at the station i mean was there a moment where you thought i'm so grateful to have done this wow um well yeah i've had a couple of those um and they've been both you know both good and bad um the uh, the the opportunity to interview the president in fact i've interviewed four of them uh, two while, three while they were in office, and Jimmy Carter after he had left office, uh, and I had a chance to interview him uh, here in Seattle. Uh, but being in the White House to interview Barack Obama was um, that was a real highlight. And you know, I'm not nobody's supposed to know uh, my my political leanings, and we try to, uh, unlike a lot of people in the business, we try to keep that uh, you know as secret as we can because nobody, quite frankly. Nobody cares. I've always been of this impression. I was, this was beaten into me as a, as a young uh, reporter and anchor back in the day. Nobody cares what you think. 
what you think. They don't care about your opinion. What they care about is the information, the stories that can help them best make their decisions every day. So it's I've had a little trouble coming along over the years in kind of signing on to this uh, make me part of the story kind of branded journalism. That's that's sort of always been verboten for me. Uh, but I will tell you, to be able to interview the president, and, and that president especially being Barack Obama, who I admire greatly, uh, that was – that was a great moment. And then we've had some really difficult moments here uh, in this area. We've had firefighters, groups of firefighters die. And in the 90s, we've had the WTO riots where they just really tore up downtown. And, and that was a, you know, a disaster. Um, and then there's been the hopeful stories. Um, as awful as what we have seen here in the last uh, three or four months has been, the outpouring of help whether it be food lines for people, food lifelines, whether it be marches for uh, racial equality and social justice, uh, and you see every race, denomination, color, age, sexual orientation represented, those kinds of things are marvelous and great for our community, and I hope it continues, and I hope I can be a little more a part of all those things now, too. Congrats to Raves. That is huge, huge tip of the cap. And hopefully, at least in this one part of retirement, uh, enjoying his time with uh, his beautiful wife and uh, deserves a little a little time off. I believe staying on an extra month later than he planned just to help with the coverage of COVID-19 and with um, the, the killing of George Floyd and the resultant protests across the country. So uh, thank you to Rabes. I'm sure we've all appreciated him on our TV screens for the last month, and we'll still enjoy hearing him on our airwaves. But huge day. Congrats to him. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for The Hot List. San Francisco Giants came up with an interesting way to keep fans in the stands, even if they can't physically be there. I'll explain in the hot list next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Necessity is the mother of invention. We've heard that phrase in the past and teams are finding ways to adapt amidst COVID-19 health and safety rule protocols and restrictions. In a letter sent to season ticket holders on Thursday, the San Francisco Giants announced that games at Oracle Park will be played without fans due to the pandemic, but the team is still going to find a way to get season holders images in the building. Yes, uh, they will allow season ticket holders to send in an image of themselves that's going to be placed onto a cutout that will be displayed in the stands during home games. Calling it the Giants Fan Cutout Program. Really got creative on that one. The team said the cutouts will be an opportunity for fans to be at Oracle Park even when you're home watching the game. They'll be made of weatherproof material and will be placed as close to the season ticket holders' actual seats as possible. 
For a $99 fee, the team is also given the option for non-season ticket holders to have their cutout images displayed in the stands. MLB announced earlier this week that it will play a 60-game regular season that is expected to begin on July 23rd or 24th as for the opening day and the final day, September 27th. They have uh, held, held close to that one. And spring training 2.0 going to start on July 1st, or at least that's when uh, clubs will have players report. Jerry DePoto was on with Danny Gallant yesterday for the Jerry DePoto show. And first, speaking of a couple of players that have tested positive, he said it was more than one player, but less than five. Um, didn't release those names and saying the players who did test positive feel great as of now. Uh, I, I don't I, I don't know the answer to that question is the, the, the real answer to that question. Uh, I, and I certainly don't know that I would use the word bunch in describing it because I don't I don't know what to, to expect. But we do have more than one. We have less than five, and we are you know we are expecting that it won't be the last time we encounter something like this. The the positive here is that in speaking with each of the players who has been exposed or infected, they feel great and and they're asymptomatic. And right now they're we're. We're monitoring the situation as closely as we can, following the protocols. And you know, unfortunately, as, as is the case worldwide, there's not a lot we can do to, to provide any more care than that. Uh, Jerry DePoto did give an update on one well-known player. That would be Mitch Hanniger. He won't start the season with the M's. We will obviously start the season uh, without Mitch Hanniger. And uh, we will take it day by day with Mitch and just see where he is. Uh, we'll have a much better idea of of what that looks like once we have a chance to to see him face to face and and our expectation right now is that he'll start on the injured list and and we'll take it uh cautiously again not wanting to to move too fast he had two major issues and surgeries that we want to be as as i guess certain as we can be that he has had the appropriate amount of time to to rehab properly we may get to see some big name prospects later this season because of that taxi squad, those 20 players that can be outside of the 40-man roster. But DePoto also talked about the dangers of bringing up a player too soon, which we know all too well here in this market as well. Rushing players, you don't want to do that. It's confidence. It's the, most players, and I, and I say that you know, there's been 20,000 players in, in history or thereabouts, and and most of them struggle the first time, uh, and it's a, it's not uncommon to see a guy come in and and run into a, a a bump in the road or a hurdle to jump over, and you want to make sure that your players are both physically prepared for for that challenge and mentally prepared for that challenge. And the way we've historically done that in baseball is through minor league reps and and trial and error. You know, watching the the player. You know, go against older, more advanced competition, seeing how long it takes them to adjust. And then as they run into their small failures, how they get through it and, and get over that hurdle. And, and unfortunately, that's the part of this season to, to date that's missing. Jerry DePoto, that full interview is available for you at 710sports.com on the podcast tab. He also talks about Jared Kelnick, Logan Gilbert, and their development trajectories, how they will adapt to this year. On Thursday, NASCAR completed its investigation into the garage pull rope formed as a noose that was found in Bubba Wallace's garage at Talladega Super Speedway back on Sunday. President Steve Phelps said that it, 
quote, the noose was real and our initial reaction was to protect our driver. NASCAR also released a photo of the noose that was found in the garage of the number 43 team. On Tuesday, the FBI determined that Wallace was not the victim of a hate crime and that the noose had been on that garage door since October 19th. But then a big question, um, how did that exist there since October 2019 at least? Um, but it was it was went unnoticed. Steve Phelps on that. Mid-bending, they are unsure. We know it brings up another question. How could it have gone unnoticed by so many people in October 2019 and for the morning of the on June 21, 2020? Our ultimate conclusion for, for this investigation is to ensure that this never happens again, that no one walks by a noose without recognizing the potential damage it can do. Wallace is NASCAR's only full-time black driver, and on Wednesday he was on first take and said that he was thankful the noose wasn't intended for him, but he doesn't think the ensuing investigation was an overreaction. Phelps said NASCAR conducted a thorough sweep of every garage area and all 29 tracks at which it races, a total of over 1,600 garage stalls. Um, Also at that racetrack, they found 11 pull-down ropes tied in knots, but only one noose. Uh, Steve Phelps also reacted to the criticism of how NASCAR handled this situation. Secondly, there's been discussion and criticism on how this was handled and characterized. Some feel that the phrasing or words used were not right. That comes with the territory, and I will take full responsibility for that and for the emotion that was attached to it. Based on the evidence we had, we felt that that our drivers had, that one of our drivers had been threatened, a driver who had been extremely courageous in recent words and actions. It was our responsibility to react and investigate, and that's exactly what we did. Bomani Jones also speaking this week on NASCAR handling things in his mind the, the right way. They had to have that reaction. They had no other choice but to approach it exactly the way they did. When they said that they did a survey of however many garages it was, and this was the only garage where they had a rope that, that was tied in the fashion that this one was. Yes, uh, the guy Steve Phelps said they swept 1,648 garage stalls at 29 tracks and found 11 pull-down ropes tied in knots. And this is the only one that was tied in like a noose. It happened to be in the black driver's garage in the week that all of these things are happening, right? They handled it the way that I think that they had to handle it because their history necessitates that they go about something like this in a time like this with such urgency. And so I don't know how anybody can fairly chastise them for the approach that they took, given what was in front of them as evidence. Well, sports will be returning in July, and there's still a lot of question marks when it comes to the health and safety protocols and how comfortable players will be with the return. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, uh, admitted that teams are concerned about the virus and also said that there are more NBA players with positive tests than we know. Why we will never know the exact number? We're in a bit of a difficult spot in the media here because we don't have access to the teams right now. So we can't go in there one of the things that you do is you physically count who's there we're not going to be able to know who got sick and i respect that they have privacy that we shouldn't necessarily be reporting on guys getting sick like this however the teams have not been announcing it some teams have made announcements but most teams have not and so we really don't know how many people actually are sick And we're not going to have access to them for a long time. As for the NFL, they are still proceeding as if 
the regular season will happen as scheduled. The Hall of Fame game canceled this week. That news coming down and not unexpected, but also with plenty of questions on what will happen with training camp, what will happen with the preseason and the regular season. Roger Goodell yesterday, NFL commish on the ongoing prep for 2020. We also had a very lengthy discussion on our preparation for the 2020 season and our ongoing work as we prepare to open training camps on time to get ready for games at our stadiums and then to engage our fans both in stadiums as well as through our media partners. We've discussed all these topics with the Players Association on numerous occasions as recently as just the last couple of days. We're both focused on ensuring the players as well as coaches and other essentials of the game will have the safest possible environment this season. Obviously, that includes our fans also. Those conversations have been very productive, and obviously there's a lot more for us to do. Jeff Pash, NFL Executive Vice President and General Counsel, also on the guidance that teams are being given pertaining to the preseason and training camp, because that's coming up right around the corner, just about a month out. The clubs have been advised that training camps are expected to open on the normal schedule the, uh, set forth in the collective bargaining agreement. So for most clubs, that would be July 28th. And then, obviously, you can bring your rookies and certain other players in a little bit before that. But that's the date that clubs are expected to open training camp. And then as far as other things in respect to the preseason, like the number of preseason games, we're in you know active discussion with the uh, Players Association on those issues. And, you know, we'll continue at that and expect to have some resolutions relatively soon that will advise the clubs at that time. But how will players feel about it? That's a big part of the question. Malcolm Jenkins, Saints Safety, saying and reminding people that, in his mind, football is non-essential business. The NBA is a lot different than, than the NFL because they can actually quarantine all of their players um, or whoever is going to participate, where we have over 2,000 players, even more coaches and staff. We can't do that. And so we'll end up being kind of on this uh, trust system where uh, the honor system where we just have to hope that guys are social distancing and things like that. And that puts all of us at risk. Not only, you know, us as players and who's in the building, but when you go home to your families, uh, I, you know, I have parents that I don't want to get sick. And I think until we get to the point where we have protocols in place and until we get to a place as a country where we feel safe doing it, we have to understand that football is a non-essential business. Uh, and so we don't need to do it. And so the risk, uh, you know, has to uh, be, be really eliminated before we before I would feel comfortable with going back. As of now, training camp still on next month, but still several more questions as coronavirus cases continue to rise in several different states. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Everybody, be safe out there this weekend. And a huge tip of the hat again to Steve Rabel on an incredible career with Cairo TV. Uh, thinking of you today, buds. That's a wrap. Danny Gallant next right here, 710 ESPN Seattle.